0: This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3705 for Friday the 14th of October 2022. Today's show is entitled, The Year of the FreeBSD Desktop. It is hosted by R. C. and is about 69 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is I talk about configuring FreeBSD as a desktop OS and give tips for those coming from Linux. On this episode of Hacker Public Radio, I'm going to be talking about uh, the year of the FreeBSD desktop. I've received a few emails, people asking me, hey, I'm curious about FreeBSD. How do I get a desktop installed? Uh, How do I use this thing? Can you help me more? All I know is Linux. Uh, People asking questions, asking for advice. Um... I thought it'd be a good idea to record an episode, and and I chose the title, The Year of the FreeBSD Desktop. Uh, After being inspired um, by by the Linux community, uh, I I still would consider myself a part of the Linux community, but every time there is a a minor system update, uh, you see various commenters saying, oh, this update's so good. You know, this Gnome Shell update is so good, it improves the system so much that, that this year, the current year, will be the year of the Linux desktop. We will see widespread adoption of Linux throughout the whole world. Uh, I took the title there, uh, or at least the inspiration from sort of those types of uh, commenters and, and community members a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I think. Uh, but the title of the year of the FreeBSD desktop and also the concept of the year of the Linux desktop. I've always said that the year of the Linux desktop is the year that you begin using Linux as your desktop operating system, your primary uh, or exclusive desktop operating system. Similarly, the year of the FreeBSD desktop is the year that you start using FreeBSD as your primary desktop operating system or your exclusive desktop operating system. Uh, Now, I'm not super big on exclusion. I think another episode that may or may not be coming out, uh, I I talk about gaming on Linux a little bit. Uh, You know, so obviously, you know, there's not any exclusion when you you use open-source software, right? You can use different operating systems for different purposes. And, you know, don't feel bad if you still have a Linux desktop and you want to be a FreeBSD desktop user, uh, or vice versa. Um, it's all open source. It's all, it's all welcome. Uh, so the first step to becoming a member of the FreeBSD desktop, uh, year commission, uh, I don't know what type, what group of people we could have, um, that are involved in the year of the FreeBSD desktop. So the first step is to get an installer. I have a link uh, to FreeBSD downloads. Uh, That's freebsd.org slash where. Um, uh, So the first thing you need to do is pick an installer. um, Pick the correct architecture for your system. If you don't know a whole lot about systems architectures, you probably want AMD 64. If you have a computer, uh, with like an Intel processor or an AMD processor that was manufactured within the last, uh, 20 years, it's probably going to be AMD 64. Uh, otherwise if you have something special, I think you'll know, uh, what you need, but the rest of this, uh, The rest of this sort of podcast is going to be about installing FreeBSD on an AMD 64 system and configuring it as a desktop. Um, So when you click on the architectures uh, button, you have a lot of different download options. Uh, So let's go through them. There's uh, an installer called bootonly.iso. That's a net install image. It's for burning to a CD. There's disk1.iso, that's a supplementary image, a CD image for bootonly.iso. You have dvd1.iso, it's a complete DVD image, it comes with extra packages. Uh, you have memstick.iso, it's a complete image for burning to a USB stick. And you have mini memstick.iso, uh, that's a net install image uh, for burning to a USB stick. I typically just use the memstick images because I find it easier to install uh, off of a USB um, than to burn a CD and then reburn a CD. And I don't have a lot of computers with a CD drive um, anyway. Uh, so it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for me to be burning CDs. Um, one of the memstick images is is probably what you want. Uh, and if it's your first time installing FreeBSD, I, I don't recommend going with the mini memstick option. Uh, sometimes that makes installing wireless drivers difficult. Um, so once you have your your memstick image downloaded, uh, a couple commands you can run x unz. So they distribute these. Im- I download the zipped ones, obviously, it saves the bandwidth. Uh, X on Z, and then the path to your uh, installation image. And then I use DD, the the Disk Destroyer program, to write that installation image to a USB drive. And then I eject that USB drive. Um, So now that you have a a FreeBSD installer ready to go, uh, let's get get on with the installation. So the first step is pre-installation. Um, the standard steps for installing Linux apply. So you have to go into your BIOS, disable secure boot, enable USB booting, uh, depending on how you knew your hardware is, enable legacy booting. Um, the same type of stuff you would do for, for a Linux installation and then enable, uh, the default boot device or, uh, select the boot device at startup time. This is all hardware specific. Um, I, I I almost assume that that being a Linux user is a prerequisite for this episode, so you probably know how to do all of these things. Uh, so now actually installing the thing, FreeBSD has a menu-driven installer and it walks you through various steps. This program is called BSD install. Uh, so the first thing BSD install asks you to do is set a key map if you have a strange keyboard. Uh, you know all about setting keymaps. If you don't know what a keymap is, just leave it as default. Um, set a host name, and then the third step is to select sets. Uh, there are lots of sets. This is just, uh, I guess, modules of the base operating system. Uh, if it's your first time installing FreeBSD, you probably want to install all of them. Uh, I typically only install the lib32 set and add the rest later. Um, I like to have a leaner system. Uh, The fourth step is to partition your hard drives. Uh, So BSD install makes it really easy to partition your drives. Um, The file system you want or the option you want to choose in the partition menu will be called auto and then in parentheses ZFS. Uh, You should probably go with ZFS. Um, The default UFS configuration is not journaled. It's not very reliable uh, because it's not journaled. And ZFS is very robust. Um, So in the automatic ZFS configuration menu for a single hard drive installation, uh, set your pool type to one disk. Uh, You wanna stripe one disk and then select your hard drive. If you want full disk encryption, pick encrypt disks. Um, And then for setting swap size, you wanna bump up your swap size. I think by default, it's only two gigabytes. Uh, the general rule of thumb for swap size is however much RAM you have times 1.5. So if you have four gigabytes of RAM, you want like six gigs of swap. If you have eight gigs of RAM, you want 12 gigs of swap. Uh, and then if you also are encrypting your disks, you should probably also encrypt your swap. Um, encrypting your swap space means, uh, for example, passwords you may or may not enter in a web browser Uh, are stored in RAM and they're swapped out when they're not used and you don't want those things floating around on disk. Um, So when you're done configuring your uh, file system you can proceed with the installation. You'll see a confirmation message asking if you want to destroy the disks. This is the last step to go back. After you commit you're gonna uh, have ZFS on your hard drives and whatever you have on there before is now gone, reduced to ash. Uh, Never to be seen again. And if you did choose to encrypt your disks, uh, you'll have a password prompt. Um, This is the disk encryption password, not any user password. Uh, You should probably set these to be different things. Uh, The fifth step, wait for sets to install. Cool little progress menu shows. Uh, The sixth step is setting a password for the root user. The seventh step is network configuration. So if your wireless card is already supported, all of the hard parts are done for you. Uh, If your wireless card is not supported, you might have to plug in an Ethernet cable and either download those uh, drivers or you'll have to compile the drivers. For example, I think Broadcom, a lot of the Broadcom cards, you have to compile the drivers into the kernel. Um, Hopefully, though, your Wi-Fi card is just supported. Uh, So select your card at the network config em em zero em one those are ethernet interfaces Uh, wi-fi cards are named after their drivers so for example um so i have a my my wi-fi card is named wlan zero I, th- I think this might actually be incorrect. On OpenBSD, they're named after your drivers. but uh, No, I'm pretty sure on FreeBSD, they're also named after your drivers because I have an Atheros um, USB Wi-Fi card, and it's named like ath 0 instead of WLAN0. Uh, if you choose Wi-Fi, the installer is going to stand- scan for networks and give you a menu to select one. If the network's encrypted, you're given a password prompt. Um, anecdotally, sometimes it'll ask you to change the FCC region. Uh, if you are having difficulty seeing any Wi-Fi interfaces show up, uh, don't set the region, just leave it as default, and it typically just works. Um, it it can be fiddly. Uh, the last time I installed FreeBSD wasn't. I reinstalled FreeBSD for this episode, and it was fiddly, um, Uh, But if you can't get it, um, try different FCC regions. For example, no region versus U.S. region. Uh, The eighth step is time and date setup. That's really simple. You just set the time and date. Uh, Then you set up services. So you're presented with a menu that allows you to enable or disable uh, services on system startup. For most people, you probably want all of them except local unbound. Um, local unbound is like a local caching, uh, DNS resolver. If you have never used one of those things before, it can cause DNS to behave in a way you've never experienced and, uh, you might become frustrated. So typically I don't enable that one, at least for a desktop that's just gonna be, uh, uh like a DHCP client. The the tenth step is to configure security. So you can enable or disable security features. Uh, the more of these you enable um, the more confusing things can become, especially for someone who might be unfamiliar with FreeBSD. Uh, if nothing else, disable Sendmail and uh enable the clearing of the temp. Uh, partition you can do the other things if you really want to or if you really feel like it Um, uh, but that's typically what I do just for a a desktop installation Uh, the 11th step is to add users so you just add your user Uh, you might want to add your user to the wheel group if you plan on using sudo I also set my shell to tcsh in this menu you can always change your shell later Um, Another thing about the wheel group, a lot of the hard parts about using FreeBSD as a desktop operating system, a lot of the manual configuration you might have to do to be able to access a lot of these, um, I guess lower system things that, that you, know, you would expect a desktop operating system to do, you probably want your user in the wheel group. Uh, The final configuration, you might want to install the handbook or modify any configurations. Installing the handbook takes a little bit of time. Um, And then when you're done, apply the configuration and exit. And then before you reboot, you're given a last option to do any manual configuration. Uh, Most of the time, you don't need to do this. After the installation, now it's time to install a graphical user interface. I quoted myself, "Uh, what? No GUI? Yeah, there's no GUI by default on FreeBSD. Uh, So with a fresh installation, we want to update the system. Um, Those commands are freebsd-update-fetch, freebsd-update-install, and reboot. So running those things, it'll update the base system. Uh, The next thing I usually do is install vim, because I don't like using vi. Uh, I don't want to have to use ed when I don't have to, and I don't like ee. Uh, so we need a better text editor before we start editing all these files. On FreeBSD, the package utility is what we manage packages with, um, at least binary packages anyway. It functions almost identically to any Linux package manager you've used. The syntax is pkg verb object. Um, that's that's how like apt works, dnf works, for example. Uh, on FreeBSD, the only editors installed by default are vi, ed, and ee. If you've ever used nano, ee is kind of like nano. Um, but I like to install vim. Uh, there are a couple of vim flavors. I like the vim-tiny flavor uh, just because it doesn't pull in as many things. Like I said, I like running a lean system. You probably also want to install uh, sudo or do as, so package install sudo and then run the vi sudo command to edit the sudoers file and then find the line that says wheel and remove the leading hash because we want the wheel group to be able to do actions as root. Uh, The next thing I do is a couple of bootloader tweaks. We can tweak the bootloader to make the system boot faster. So how you do this is you edit a file uh, slash boot slash loader dot conf um, there's a lot of default stuff in there, don't touch that too much if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and then I typically go to the very bottom of that file, add a comment that says custom stuff below, and then comment what each option does. So I add a line that says Auto boot underscore delay equals two, so it'll boot faster. Um, I, I'm, I think I, I should say before I continue, I'm not doing uh, a lot of really implementation or I guess hardware specific stuff. This is a pretty generic um, FreeBSD installation. But uh, the reason I'm editing these files is sort of to show you where they're at and show you how to, for example, edit the bootloader. Uh, edit the init system, so on and so forth. I'm not doing a lot of the really custom stuff that might make things behave strangely and in a non-default way. Uh, so to learn more about what tweaks you can make to the bootloader, read the loader.conf man page. Um, there, uh, FreeBSD also comes with default configuration examples. So if you read slash boot slash default slash loader.conf, that is a default configuration file for the bootloader. Uh, lots of good examples in there, very well commented. The other thing we can do is tweak the init system. Uh, oh boy, my notes got out of order. That's fun. We can tweak the init system by editing slash etsy slash rc.conf. Um, So the configuration I had in the init system is I append a line that says background underscore DH client equals yes. Uh, This makes the DH client start in the background um, and sort of get you to a desktop faster maybe than if you were waiting for a DHCP uh, lease from your uh, DHCP server. If you read the man page for rc.conf, it'll tell you all about the different things you can do with rc.conf. Um, if you read slash etsy slash defaults slash rc.com, that is an example file filled with comments and lots of examples on what you can do with the init system. Uh, At this point, once I have everything sort of a a sane, base, fresh installation, I like to take a ZFS snapshot. Um, This makes it really easy to roll back to a fresh, known, working system configuration. Uh, So how I do that, you run the command zfs snapshot-r uh, zroot at fresh install. Uh, so I'm snapshotting uh, the zroot, which is the root of the zfs pool. And then I'm naming the snapshot fresh install. And then to list your snapshots, you can do zfs list-t snapshot. So when the system becomes unrepairable, we can roll back instead of having to reinstall with a simple command. Uh, so how you roll back a ZFS dataset is ZFS rollback uh, optionally dash r uh, root at fresh install um, to roll back every dataset because ZFS rollbacks aren't recursive. You can use a little bit of xargs magic. Uh, so how I do that? ZFS list dash t snapshot pipe grep fresh install pipe cut dash d uh, in quotes a space because we want the delimiter to be a space uh, dash f one Uh, pipe xargs dash capital I percent ZFS rollback percent. Um, A little bit of shell magic to get recursive rollbacks on ZFS. Uh, I, I think it's a good idea to take ZFS snapshots before you make any potentially dangerous configuration and possibly after you've done something that's kind of difficult to configure. It saves a lot of headache in the long run because ZFS is accessible from the recovery shell. Uh, The last word of advice is to roll back with caution. Um, If you run a recursive rollback, for example, and you roll back your uh, home pool, I believe that's what it's called. Yeah, if you roll back your zroot slash user slash home, if you roll back your home pool, uh, all of your user data will be lost since that snapshot. So, so, you know, proceed with caution. Uh, And then a little bit of homework write a series of, of cron jobs that automatically take snapshots and clear up the old ones, uh, sort of as a last line of defense version control. Uh, now for the part everyone's waiting for, graphical user interfaces. Uh, so the first thing we need to do is install graphics drivers. This varies depending on your GPU, but generally you will just run package install drm-kmod. After you install a package, you'll get a message um, that's the cool thing about FreeBSD is packages will actually uh, give you a message telling you how to use them after you install them. Uh, so the message from the DRM KMOD package says, how do you install this driver? Uh, so it says for AMD GPU, you enable it one way. For Intel GPU, you enable it another way. For Radeon KMS, you enable it a different way. Um, so to enable one of these, you need to add a line to your init system right, slash etsy slash rc.conf. The earlier you place things, uh, different lines and starting services in this file, the sooner they start. So for example, since I have Intel graphics, you add the following line to enable Intel graphics in the file slash etsy slash rc.conf. So you append a line that says KLD underscore list equals in quotes I915KMS. Uh, when you boot the system, that loads the Intel graphics drivers. To load kernel modules on the fly, you can use the pro, uh, the command klb load. Um, the interesting thing about graphics drivers on FreeBSD is it also increases the resolution of a VT. Uh, VT is like the virtual terminal. It's kind of like a frame buffer console, but not quite. Um, you just run the command kldload i915kms. Uh, I've noticed if, you've, if you unload graphics drivers on the fly, it crashes the system, but that might just be anecdotal. Um, the last thing you need to do is add your non-root uh, user to the video group. You have to be in the video group to be able to use these uh, drivers. Uh, so how we do that? pw, run the command pw, groupmod, video-m, and then your username. Uh, again, notes out of order, but I'm going to continue anyway and upload this and them this way because the commentary on notes out of order is kind of fun. Uh, so audio, hopefully audio just works. Sometimes uh, audio doesn't, but supported audio interfaces are, are enumerated in the SND man page and details about enabling and disabling these drivers in loader.com are also explained in the man page. Uh, How you manage volume on FreeBSD, you use the mixer command. So to set the mic volume to 50% and the speaker volume to 90%, uh, 95%, you run mixer, mic, uh, 50, colon, 50. That'll set the mic's left and right audio channels to 50%. Mixer, vol, 95, colon, 95. That sets the output volume to uh, left and right output volumes for the, the speakers to 95%. Um, you can also use plus or minus, I believe. Um, so, for example, mixer mic plus five will increase five percent. I think it works that way. Uh, the mixer TUI command can also be used. Uh, this one's not installed by default. You'll have to install mixer TUI. Uh, this program functions almost identically to also mixer on Linux. It makes, uh, it gives you a terminal based Uh, interface uh, like a graphical terminal interface to um, modify volume on uh, various audio interfaces and then depending on your hardware the volume keys on your keyboard might not work Uh, I typically add a key binding that calls a shell script or even just a command uh, to increase or decrease volume uh, this is like the typical solution for people who run tiling window managers on Linux, uh, people who really run any window manager without a desktop on Linux. So this should be a familiar workflow to I think a lot of the types of people who are interested in, in running FreeBSD. Uh, the next thing I do is install xorg. Um, how you do that? Package install xorg, that's the command you run. The TWM window managers included uh, with XORG by default. And this is useful because we can test our XORG configuration, test our mouse support, uh, before we m- install a larger desktop environment that may or may not have problems of its own. Uh, so early troubleshooting really prevents a lot of uh, headache. Uh, you know, test early, test often. How you test your XORG after install installs start X. Uh, if it works, you should see TWM startup. Um, hopefully, again, hopefully, XORG configurations just work out of the box. Uh, if they don't work, troubleshooting XORG and getting a functional XORG or X11 configuration, uh, that is really operating system agnostic. That's almost identical on every, uh, Unix-like operating system, except for the fact where the configuration files are, are stored. Now on to desktop environments. So you can refer to the handbook's instructions on uh, desktops. I have a link for that. Um, I've tested three of these on FreeBSD. So KDE uh, works, XFCE works pretty reliably. Uh, GNOME is sometimes reliable. Um, if you're running a big desktop environment, you might have to modify the uh, Paul kit rules, p o l k i t, uh, policy kit rules, um, to do things like reboot the system from the GUI. A lot of these larger desktops rely on free desktop dot uh, org components. I don't really like those types of things. Uh, you know, like I said, lean system. That's what I like. Uh so I don't like having Dbus running. I use the suckless tools, but for the sake of completeness, uh, I will install each of these desktop environments for the masses. Um, I installed each of these desktops independently and sequentially on the same system using ZFS snapshots to roll back to a barebone system without any desktop environment installed. Uh, this is another good use for um... Uh, ZFS snapshots is for example you want to test something that might break the system uh, or might create a lot of garbage files that you don't necessarily want on the system Uh, is really useful to be able to snapshot things and roll back so how you install GNOME you run the following commands package install GNOME after that's done you have to add procfs to your etcfs tab I did this with a printf but if you want to edit that file in vim, your fs tab in vim, that just looks like proc, tab, proc, tab, procfs, tab, rw, tab 0, tab 0, newline. Uh, that'll enable the proc file system. Uh, and then to mount that on the fly, you would do mount dash a. Um, to enable these things, all of the services required to get GNOME started. Uh, sysrc dbus underscore enable equals in quotes capital Y-E-S, so yes in capital letters. sysrc gdm underscore enable equals in quotes uh, yes in all caps. sysrc gnome underscore enable equals in quotes yes in all caps and then reboot the system. When your system comes back up, you should see the GDM Display Manager. You should be able to log into Gnome. Uh, I was actually surprised about how well Gnome uh, was functioning on, on FreeBSD 13 point, Uh Am I on 2 or 1? I can't remember which version I'm running. FreeBSD 13.1. In the past, I've had a lot of troubles with Gnome, but it seems to work fairly reliably now. Um, at least Gnome on FreeBSD used to be difficult for me in the past. Uh, I then rolled back and installed KDE. So how you install KDE on FreeBSD. Package install KDE5 SDDM. Uh, Again, you will add the PROCFS to your Etsy tab, um, same way as above. Uh, Then you will enable a couple services. sysrc dbus underscore enable equals yes. sysrc sddm underscore enable equals yes. And then reboot, and you should get sddm. Uh, so the interesting thing about the uh, sysrc command is it actually just modifies the file slash etsy slash rc.com. It modifies your init system. Uh, these sysrc commands are identical to just opening up your /etc/rc.conf with a text editor. And for example, uh, adding a line that says dbus underscore enable equals yes. Uh, as far as I know, these commands um, mostly function... Uh, uh, like, just insert a line here, modify a, li- a line here. Um, that's how you install KDE, and then I have a screenshot of KDE running. I don't, I'm not sure if I set it, but I also have a screenshot of GNOME on FreeBSD above. Um, I then roll back, and I install XFCE. Uh, so how you install XFCE? Package install XFCE, XFCE4-goodies. The goodies package pulls in a lot of the... Um, XFCE applets and things that make it more usable than just a window manager. Uh, XFCE doesn't provide its own login manager unlike GNOME or KDE. Uh, so we're going to install LightDM because it's fairly small, fairly fast. The graphical toolkit matches XFCE. It looks good together. So how you install LightDM uh, package install LightDM GTK Greeter and then you enable LightDM with a sysrc command sysrc lightdm underscore enable equals yes. Uh, another way you could accomplish this would be like uh, echo lightdm underscore enable equals yes. And then two angle brackets, right? Uh, the append, uh, s- output redirect, uh, and then append it to your etcrc.conf. Uh, reboot the system. You should see lightdm be able to log into xfce. Um, and then I roll back and I finally install what I wanted, uh, which is suckless. Uh, so the suckless tools, um, they're tools that suck less. I have a link for suckless.org. Um, they're fairly small tools. Uh, the philosophy is really, Hey, let's, we need, although we have to use X11, we can still make desktop environments and window managers that are modular and not really a pain to use. Uh, that stay out of your way unless you get work done. I typically run Suckless software on most computers. Um, I think, except for Fedora, I just run GNOME on Fedora because I can't be bothered to install Suckless when uh, I can get a full-screen terminal uh, running GNOME identically to how I can get a full-screen terminal running uh, Suckless software. Um, so I just wrote a make file that modifies the compile options so that these tools build on FreeBSD and, uh, automatically patch them to add a theme. The way you modify suckless software is by patching the, the source code, uh, or the, um, header files or the, uh, make options. Um, so you have to modify each of those components of software individually for whatever system you're on. Uh, so I just wrote some Suckless duct tape that uh, installs Suckless on FreeBSD and writes my Plan 9 theme. Uh, the make file is fairly large, but pretty much what it does is just uh, pulls down all of the repositories for the Suckless software I use. Uh, I have a make option to patch them, install dependencies, uh, add a patch for themes, uh, build and install them. Um, it makes it easier, at least for me when I reinstall these things, I like having a consistent um, a consistent way of installing things really quickly. Although I don't reinstall operating systems very often, I thought I'd just do it this time around. Uh, and then in addition to using the suckless tools, I just use XDM. Uh, it's small and fast. It's configurable if you care. I typically just leave it how it is, except for disabling the console. How you install XDM. Pseudo package install XDM. Uh, and then pseudo service XDM enable. Um in FreeBSD, there are a couple ways to modify your uh, init system, and then I have a screenshot of suckless software with my my fancy Plan 9 theme, and you know web browser open. Uh, so, a final note on desktops before I continue to some more uh, general things. Sometimes the desktops behave unexpectedly, like users can't ma- manage power settings. Uh, or reboot the system. And if the user you're logging into a desktop environment is with, uh, logging into a desktop environment with is in the wheel group, uh, most of these issues are resolved. For the non-wheel group users, you have to write uh, po- policy kit rules, poll kit rules. Uh, I used to do this in the past, now I just add every user to the wheel group. Um, <laughs> But, but to be fair, I'm the only one using my systems as a desktop operating system. I don't, I don't share my computer very often with people, uh, especially considering that I'm using like DWM and really a terminal only interface. It's kind of hard to share that with an average person. Um, another thing to watch out for a lot of the big desktops are compiled without, uh, support for modifying network connections. Um, so, for example, there's not a Wi-Fi menu in the GNOME settings. Uh, that may or may not be something you care about. Um, but it's just as easy to configure those things on a, a uh, at an operating system level. Uh, I think almost easier because you know for sure it's going to work. Um, I'll, I'll get into network configuration in a minute. Uh, similar to Arch and Gentoo. Uh, there's a little bit of legwork left for the end user. Um, I know a lot of people might not like this little bit of legwork, uh, you know, modifying configuration options, uh, tweaking things to get things to work how you like them to work. Uh, but I always say, you know, this is a good thing. You never know what you might learn if you don't give yourself the opportunity. Uh, so there's a lot of weird operating system or even like desktop specific things that I've learned just because I've put them on FreeBSD. You know, I've never modified a PaulKit rule in my life until I started using FreeBSD. You might not even know that PaulKit rules exist if you don't use FreeBSD, right? I, I think exposing yourself to uh, strange and unfamiliar systems, it really... It builds a lot of skills, uh, that you might not ever have, have been aware of before. Uh, so you have to give yourself an opportunity and you have to stay diligent. Uh, but most of the time everything just works. Um, at least in my anecdotal experience. Uh, so another thing I do, I make, uh, shell tweaks. So I like colors in my system shell, um, I don't use colors on OpenBSD, though it's kind of a strange thing. I also like aliases. So because the default shell in FreeBSD is CSH, we can modify the configuration file to automatically do the fancy for us. Uh, So in my CSHRC, I leave the default stuff in the the prompt section. Uh, I have a couple sample prompts. Um, I just set my prompt to be bold. Um, and then leave it at that. Uh, I think I have a colorful one in there too. One of those might be red instead of bold. Uh, You know, comment or uncomment if you want to copy my configuration. Um, And then in the bind key section, I add the control R uh, key binding to do reverse history search, kind of like how you would use the control R key binding on bash to search through history. I then add some aliases. So, ls uh, alias la to ls dash a capital f alias lf to ls dash capital f capital a alias ll to ls dash a capital uh, I lost that. So, my ll alias is for uh, the following command: ls dash l capital a capital f. I alias regular ls to ls dash capital g capital f so the capital g gives you colors the capital f gives you like a slash for example if it's a directory Uh, i think a star for example if it's executable Um, um yeah so it gives you a star if it's an executable Uh, some interesting things. And then I alias LC to LS-G, capital G, capital F. Um, The reason I alias LC is because on plan 9, LC is equivalent to uh, LS-column or something like that. I think it's... yeah, so LC is the, is the command on plan 9 to give you a multi-column LS output. And the muscle memory, it's a lot easier just to leave the muscle memory and adjust the aliases. Uh, so some other packages you can install. The things that I like to install, um, Firefox, GIMP, uh, FA, MPV, FFmpeg, ImageMagick, uh, MUT, and NewsBoat. If you've installed a large desktop environment, uh, most of the applications are automatically pulled in. If they're not pulled in, you can use XARGs to pull in uh, hundreds, if not thousands of gigabytes, possibly up to petabytes of programs. Um, so how you do that, sudo package search, uh, whatever your desktop environment is. You pipe it through cut. Uh, you're going to delimit it with a space, take the first field, and then pipe it through XARGs sudo package install dash Y. Uh, FreeBSD package is kind of interesting. You can, I don't think it works with regular expressions, but if you do a package list or a package search followed by a cut and then pipe it through xargs, it'll just run instead of running each of those package commands, uh, uh, concurrently, it'll just, uh, put them all together and run one big package command. It's it's really cool. Uh, if you want to go GNU, you can do sudo, package install, core utils, emacs, bash, gcc, gmake, whatever other GNU utilities you want. They're there. They're available. Uh, I don't use them, but if you like Bash maybe more than CSH, um, why not, right? That's, that's what open source is all about, making your system do what you want it to do, uh, using the computer how you want to use it. So if you want GNU on top of FreeBSD, why not? Uh, I think the only caveat I'll say here is don't change a lot of the root users default stuff to Gnu stuff uh, things start to break when you change the root user shell um, but that is also the same on like Linux for example you don't want to change your root user shell to one of those wacky uh, wacky shells people use just so they can look cool on forums like fish or zsh you don't want to do that. Uh, and now, now that you have a desktop configured, it's another good time to take a ZFS snapshot. So you always have a, a working desktop configuration to go back to. For example, if you break it in the future, you can always do a ZFS rollback, get back to your working desktop configuration, and then proceed from there. Uh, the last section I have, uh, actually this is not the last section, uh is a quick start section. So this is a lot of, uh, this is sort of where I take the assumptions of people knowing how to use Linux and uh, build on top of them. Uh, so instead of Systemd, FreeBSD uses RC scripts for starting and stopping services. Everything is pretty much just shell scripts. Uh, to modify the processes that start at boot, you can edit slash etsy slash rc.conf. I like being able to edit my init system with a text editor. It's something that I really, really miss when I have to use uh, a Linux system. Um, if you are familiar with like a systemctl command on Linux, you can start and stop services uh, this way uh, using a different command. The service command, so... Service SH- sshd enable, service sshd start, service sshd restart, uh, stop, disable, one start status. A lot of the similar system CTL-like commands you, you might be familiar with on Linux, um, you will just use the service command on FreeBSD. I believe the service command on Linux uh, also works the same. The only thing here is that, um, each service has its own init file, so sometimes a service might take different arguments than ones you might expect. Uh, so for example, if you modify your SSHD service to sort of, uh, maybe use a different SSH, SSHD config, you could do like service SSHD, uh, start-alt-config. Uh, because it's all shell scripts, it's fairly easy to do. Um, and the other thing I should say, the syntax is backwards. So it's service, uh, the service you want to start or stop, uh, or the service that you're supplying an argument to, and then an action. With systemd, it's systemctl, uh, verb, object. On FreeBSD, it's service, object, verb. Uh, this syntax messes me up sometimes, but it's not, it's not a huge deal. You realize as soon as you do it that you've done it, that you, you just have to flip a couple words around. It's not super difficult. Um, Networking. So network interfaces are configured classically using the ifconfig command. If you want a network interface to persist across reboots, you add this information to slash etsy slash rc.conf. A lot of things are managed in the init system, including, for example, you want to start a loopback device or a bridge device, you'll just add that interface to your init. Uh, configuration and then when you boot the system uh, that bridge devices are automatically started uh, that extra loopback devices automatically started uh, Wi-Fi is managed with a program called WPA underscore supplicant uh, read the man page for more information um, if I actually go to my file, Um, so WPA supplicant is, uh, fairly easy to use. So you just edit the file etsy slash WPA supplicant.conf Uh, and then you just add a network and you can set priorities, add, uh, keys, so on and so forth. It's a plain text way of configuring your, um, Uh, Wi-Fi networks. And the only thing that ever trips me up with WPA supplicant is that when you assign a network a priority, uh, higher values have a higher priority as opposed to lower values having a priority. Um, Sort of intuitively, I think, oh, priority zero, that's going to be like nice levels where a lower number has more uh, priority. Uh, No, it's the opposite. As for firewall, I have a link to the FreeBSD handbook. Use the PF firewall. The PF firewall is very easy to use. Um, again, plain text configuration. Um, a very simple uh, PF configuration can be like one line or two lines. Um, let me find a, a sample PF configuration. I'll, I will just read it to show you how short it is compared to something like Uh, NIP tables configuration. Yeah, so my PF configuration on my web server, uh, set skip on L0, so set skip on the loopback device, Uh, TCP underscore services equals, in quotes, and then in brackets, SSH comma HTTP comma HTTPS. Block in all. Pass in proto TCP to any port. Dollar TCP under services. Keep state. Pass out all. That is all the firewall configuration you need to block all ports except for SSH, HTTP, and HTTPS. That's 22, 80, and 443. Uh, I really like PF because it's simple, and you can also... Um, it's really flexible. There's a lot of things you can do. For example, read, uh, a list of IP addresses or from a, a file and then block those. Uh, there's all sorts of cool things you can do with PF and it's quite, uh, I, I like it quite a lot, even though I do have a little bit of an affinity for firewall D, um, Uh, The next thing I talk about, the next quick starter, the general upgrade process. So on FreeBSD, the packages you install are separate from the base system. The base system is managed separately from the packages. If you keep this in mind, you're going to be okay. Um, So to update the entire system from top to bottom, uh, base and packages uh, all together. The commands look something like package update and and package upgrade. So when I say and and, that means two ampersands. Uh, You then run the command freebsd-update upgrade-r and then the release. In my case, 13.1-release. When 13.2 comes out, you use 13.2-release or 14.0-release. Freebsd-update install and then you reboot. And then you reboot the system and log in as root. And then you run FreeBSD-update install again. You wanna update and upgrade your packages again. That way, um, if there are any major uh, standard library or or ABI interface changes, they will be upgraded uh, and just work again. And then you run freebsd-update install one more time. This will remove all of the unnecessary ABI API stuff uh, from the package update. And then when you reboot, uh, your whole system will be new. All of the packages will be updated uh, if there's any um, library changes, for example. Uh, And everything should just work. This is a little bit more uh, comprehensive than, for example, doing a major version upgrade on something like Fedora. Uh, but that's largely because on Fedora, the base system and the ancillary user-installed packages are both managed to the same package management system, whereas on FreeBSD, the base system is distinct uh, from the user-installed packages. This is for stability uh, purposes. <laughs> um, as for shells, FreeBSD uses TCSH as the default shell. It includes SH for Born-like compatibility, so when you do shell scripting I always say just do POSIX shell because every single Unix-like operating system has a POSIX compatible shell or even a system with bash if you run bash dash dash POSIX I believe. I'm gonna check that. Yep, if you run bash dash dash POSIX it will run in POSIX compatibility mode. Uh, you can install Bash if you want on FreeBSD. I typically just use the default shell wherever I'm at. Um, but, uh, but, you know, write write POSIX compatible shell scripts, and then your shell scripts will work on Linux. It'll work on FreeBSD. It'll work on uh, something strange like a Lumos. Not plan nine, though. <laughs> Not plan nine. Uh, package management. That's the next uh, quick start section. On FreeBSD, there are two main ways of managing software. There are binary packages and ports. Uh, Don't mix binary packages and ports. If you don't know what you're doing, it can cause problems. Um, uh, So a brief explanation of ports. Ports are like Gentoo. You download a porch tree. It's a series of recipes to make the software. Uh, And you end up spending a lot of time watching compiler output. Um, possibly manually troubleshooting, uh, dependencies, resolving dependencies. Uh, but there are a few programs that help with this. So Synth is a program that builds ports, uh, Portmaster is a program that builds ports and Poudrier, Poudrier, I never know how to say it. Uh, that's useful for creating like a local binary, uh, package repository, um, And that's what Poudrier is for. It builds all of the ports and then you can serve them as a a binary package repository. It's very useful. Uh, And then to be more verbose about using the binary package management system. uh, So for example, package install foobar, package search foobar, package remove foobar, package install foobar again, uh, package auto remove, package update, package upgrade. Really similar stuff uh, to like a DNF or an apt. Uh, the file system, I guess I should probably have titled this hierarchy, but the hierarchy of FreeBSD is different than a Linux system. R- read the man page on higher. That's man H I E R. it tells you why things are the way that they are. So the biggest difference on FreeBSD is that it's logically organized uh, on Linux, everything you install ends up in slash bin, which is actually just a symlink to slash user slash bin. Uh, and slash sbin is just a symlink to slash user slash sbin. On FreeBSD, the file system is a lot more organized. Uh, there is a stronger concept between base operating system and random stuff the user installed from the package management tools. Uh This is useful because if a package breaks, for example, the system still boots. Um, So on FreeBSD, slash bin requires, uh, contains everything required to boot the system. Slash bin contains everything required for fundamental administration. Uh, Slash user slash bin contains all of the other non-essential binaries that are part of the base system. And then everything in user local is what is installed by the package management system. Uh, So user local bin, that would be, for example, where Vim is installed, uh, perhaps where Audacity or Firefox is installed, right? Um, Another thing, user installed programs are configured in slash user slash local slash Etsy. This is a little bit confusing at first, but you get the hang of it when you start to think user local is where all of the other stuff is. Everything in uh, the root directory is default system. Everything in user local is what I've installed. Uh, So for example, a document root uh, for like Apache on FreeBSD, it's not var www.htdocs. It would be user local var www.htdocs. It gets long... Sometimes your prompt gets long, but you get the hang of it after a while, and it starts to make a lot of sense and uh, really becomes enjoyable to use the system that way. Another issue with this logical separation is it can cause confusion when compiling software from source, uh, specifically not from the port system, uh, but like something you download off GitHub, or, for example, uh, all of the suckless tools I compile, I have to manually modify the linker options. And sometimes the make file options so that uh, the linker knows where to look for libraries at. Um, if you know how linker options work, if you know how make files work, uh, a lot of times you can just change, um, for example, slash user include to slash user local include, and it fixes a lot of things. Uh, things usually just compile. As for actual file system support, apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently Extended 2, Extended 3, and Extended 4 now have read write support using the ext2fs driver. Um, the last time I looked into Extended 4 support on FreeBSD was probably about half a decade ago. Um, it might have existed then, but I wasn't aware of it. I probably wouldn't try to boot from Extended 4, honestly, but these things exist for compatibility purposes. Um, the other big file system, UFS, it's not journaled by default. Uh, proceed with caution. Um, if you don't know what file system to pick, just pick ZFS, I promise. Uh, a lot of the complicated ZFS stuff, including snapshots, you don't even have to be aware of snapshots to use ZFS. Um, you can use it as, as a very, uh, dumb file system if you want. I then have a, a section called ZFS Non-Starter. Um, I don't, I'm not an expert on ZFS, uh, but I sort of show you some of the cool things about ZFS in this, uh, shell, uh, session. Uh, so I write ZFS is cool because we can create partitions on a whim. We can, uh create partitions uh and zfs partition is called dataset. Uh, I think of it as a logical partition. Um except unlike Linux LVM it's a lot more flexible. Uh, so we can create the datasets, create datasets with a quota, destroy datasets, uh, create and use encrypted datasets, so on and so forth. Uh, so ZFS list lists all your datasets. ZFS list t snapshot lists all your snapshots. How you create a data set, ZFS create zroot slash the path to your data set. Uh, so I create zroot slash crypt. I'm thinking, I want to make an encrypted partition. Uh, so I set the quota, ZFS set quota equals 5G on zroot slash crypt. I list it, it tells you it's only using 96 kilobytes. It has 5 gigabytes available. That is the uh, quota. I then realized I didn't turn encryption on. So I ZFS destroy zroot slash crypt. I then recreate it. Uh, ZFS create -o encryption equals on uh, -o key location equals prompt -o key format equals passphrase zroot slash crypt. It prompts me for a password. I enter it. I then ZFS list zroot slash crypt. It tells me, hey, this thing exists now. I make a file called super secret in zroot slash crypt. Uh, list that file. I get encryption information, I unmount, unload the key, reload the key, um, so on and so forth. Uh, Additionally, you can modify mount options with ZFS. I didn't do this in that example, uh, but I probably wouldn't mount my crypt partition at zroot slash crypt. I'd probably mount it as a subdirectory of my home partition. Uh, ZFS is really flexible, and a lot of the things you can do uh, don't require like modifying your fs tab it's all done through zfs it's really it's a really cool file system and i i i need to use it more you know i know quite a bit about uh, um lvm linux logical volume management uh but that sort of has its own own drawbacks compared to zfs i really like zfs um you know zfs even does raid I only run, it, I've only ever ran it on one disk at a time, but, I, you know, the ability to create partitions on the fly, the ability to set quotas on the fly, the ability to change amount points on the fly, it's all really powerful stuff. And I'm kind of surprised there's not something like this in, in Linux already. Uh, and I almost wish there was ZFS on BSD, uh, on OpenBSD, because I would just use OpenBSD forever and ever. Um, but we get what we can take. Uh, so my conclusion here, I, I really think FreeBSD is a viable desktop operating system, especially for the types of people who already use Linux in a terminal-centric way. Um, you know, Unix is Unix. Um, I, I think for anyone who's ever installed like Arch or, or Gen 2 uh, or gone from a Debian minimal installation to a graphical installation, uh, a graphical environment, uh, you know, something as big as Gnome or something as small as like open box. I, I think FreeBSD is not, uh, it's not really all that uh, difficult, you know, So, sort of demystifying FreeBSD. It's just, it's just a Unix. Uh, it's just, it's just like a Unix because it is a Unix. And a lot of the things you do are familiar because guess what? X11 is the same everywhere you go. Um, operating systems or Linux distributions that use WPA supplicant, same as everything else. Uh, you know, the, the, really the big major differences are, are from a Linux, uh, no GNU, um, no system D, and, uh, uh, maybe a better way of organizing the system, where instead of dumping everything into slash bin, you instead dump everything into, uh, you know, an ancillary directory. Like th- this is the garbage I've installed from the software repositories containment zone. Everything else that is actually, you know, I should take care of. Uh, that's over here. Uh, so I have some other stuff. I-, I don't run Firefox inside of a jail, but I have two links on how to run Firefox inside of a jail. Uh, jails are like cheroots. Jails are like Docker containers. Um, the only difference is uh, jail is slightly more secure than a cheroot. And unlike Docker, uh, when you build a jail, it doesn't have the aspect of downloading random stuff off of GitHub and downloading random operating systems off of GitHub and Docker containers off of GitHub and blindly trusting that the guy who set it up actually knows what he's doing. Um and then I have a list of FreeBSD distros that come with a desktop out of the box. Uh, GhostBSD is FreeBSD with the Matei desktop. Uh, Hello System, it's FreeBSD with an Apple-like GUI. Uh, I believe Hello System is still in development, but I'm kind of curious uh, to see. I think the Apple desktop was called like Aqua or something. I'm kind of curious to see what an Aqua-like desktop would be on FreeBSD. Uh, especially considering that uh, large, large portions of uh, Apple software is pretty much just BSD. <laughs> um, another one, Midnight BSD, is FreeBSD with XFCE and a different package management system. There is also Nomad BSD. It's a live GUI FreeBSD with OpenBox. Um, I'm probably wrong about this, but the way I think of Nomad BSD, I conceptualize it similar to Puppy Linux. Uh, But, you know, you can obviously install it on a hard drive and use it as if it was anything other than Puppy Linux, right? Um, But that's all I have on the year of the free BSD desktop. If you have any questions, you can leave a comment or send me an email or record a follow-up show. Um... If you have any complaints, you can do the same. Uh, If you have any grievances to air, you can also do the same. Um, If you... um, I'm trying to think of what else you might want to do. If you want to learn more about FreeBSD, I will definitely say you should check out the handbook. Uh, the handbook is good reading, even if you have no intentions of ever installing or running the system, just because it gives you a really big overview on how to do things with this system, uh, how things are structured, uh, if you're curious but not committed. Um, for the same reasons I tell people to read the Ninefront FQA, even if they have no intentions of running the system, uh, because it is informative and it gives you a good overview of the system um, uh, without actually committing uh, to that system. Um, this episode, I've waited till the very end to say it. I'm recording this on FreeBSD. My USB microphone just works, unlike the nine front episodes, or the plan nine episodes, I, you know, where the microphone doesn't work. It just works on, on FreeBSD, you know. I'm recording in Audacity, so on and so forth. Um, and I'm still looking. Uh, Oh, I think one last caveat, I should say, this is kind of an aside. So Linux has DRM enabled in the kernel. Um, this means you can watch DRM-controlled content in your web browser. FreeBSD does not have DRM-controlled content in your web browser, uh, or in the kernel for that matter. Uh, so for example, you can watch Netflix on Linux. You can't watch Netflix on FreeBSD. Uh, even though the Netflix servers run on FreeBSD, Uh, but you know, the whole, the whole debate on DRM and the kernel, my, my legitimate response is why would you ever want to watch Netflix, right? There's so many things we can do besides just watching. We have so much doing to do in life. Why not do it? Um, and I think, uh, with that sort of multimedia caveat, that DRM caveat, I think I'm going to end the show. Uh, so if you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment or send me an email, um, if you get stuck somewhere along the way trying to install FreeBSD, uh, uh, for sure, for sure, send me an email or, or leave a comment and I will, f- I will try my hardest to help you. Right, That's what open source is all about. Uh, the people before me taught me for free. Now it is my responsibility to teach the people after me. Uh, right? We have to pass down this knowledge, pass down these skills, help people where we can and help guide them to the answers and the solutions. Uh, and I think that's my favorite aspect about open source software and free software in general is sort of the, uh, you know, passing of the torch before, before you become too cynical about software, you have a period of time where you tell people all about all the things you've learned and help people along the way. Um, uh, I think also if you do install FreeBSD, you should record an episode uh, giving it a review. Your, your perspective as a person who has never used FreeBSD before, what you like about it, what you don't like about it, the, the interesting things you found out about it, uh, maybe your favorite part about it, your least favorite part about it. Uh, why you're sticking with FreeBSD? Why you're going back to Linux? Uh, why you're considering being a hobbyist computer in any capacity whatsoever when an operating system like macOS or Windows just works? All right. So if you if you install FreeBSD, um, you know, record an episode giving a, a legitimate review on it. You know, we're so curious about a lot of the um, new Linux users. But I'm more so curious about uh, the people who have been using Linux and Unix for a long time trying a different type of Linux or Unix uh, that's just different enough it might be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, uh, but as I always say, there's a lot of fun in computing. Um, uh, you know, there's still a lot of fun in Linux and a lot of fun in, in BSD. Uh, so, again, thanks for listening to Hacker Public Radio. Um, and uh, stay tuned. Eventually, I will record the year of the OpenBSC desktop episode. Uh, this has been Hacker Public Radio, and that is all I have to say. Uh, this has been RC, and I am ending the recording.